this morning, I'm going to kick off our Blind Spot series. <coughs> and the reason we're doing this series is simply because, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what we did through our Elephant in the Room, uh, our week through Elephant in the Room was this. We wanted to talk about the big issues that you saw on TV that you knew were real issues um, in the world, that they were obvious. Maybe we, we're not sure how our response should be to those events, but we need to be able to know how to respond. And so we talked through some really big, very obvious things that we all are aware of, or, and if you watch the news at all, you have seen lately. Blind Spots has the exact same goal but we wanted to talk about some issues that most of us may not even think about. These are those things that we are just chugging through life and we think everything is great and everything is going just the way we want it to go. And, and something out of the blue just clocks us and we're down for the count. And the truth is, for Christians, this happens all the time. Not only does it happen all the time, right now we're going through a time where it's happening rapidly to Christians around our nation. Now, there are four assumptions that we're going to go through for this entire series. The first one is this, and this is the central message of who we are as the church, that we are made alive in Christ. We believe that without Christ, there is no ability for us to truly live, to truly know God, or to truly be able to follow in any way that really makes sense. Number one, we are alive in Christ. Go ahead. I think we've got a slide for that, Ethan. There we go. Number two, our second premise that we want to follow each of these weeks, that it is your and my collective mission to help others move from the same death to life that we've experienced. We are on a mission to help others do that too. Now, as a church, if we are not doing this, we are not the church. We may be a collection of people with similar beliefs, but if we as a collective group are not on mission to help lead people from death to life, then we are not the church because that is one of the core missions that Jesus said, this is how people will know you are my disciples. The third one is this, that there is an enemy that is trying to keep us from this mission. There is a spiritual enemy that wants to stop both your life in Christ and your ability to lead others to life in Christ too. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit this morning. If we don't believe this enemy exists, then we will get blindsided all the time. And number four, our fourth premise that's going to follow every week that we follow is this, that God has given us his spirit to persevere no matter what we might encounter. So those are our four basic premises. We, they are, are all crucial for the church operating as it is supposed to operate. And the first one, again, is that we are alive in Christ. Philippians 1.21, Paul describes this so powerfully that for us to describe it in any other way fails to recognize how incredible a gift it is that Christ has given us. And that says, for to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, we all live for different things. You and I may live for our weekends. We may live for our hobbies. We may live for the things we like to spend our time doing. We may live for retirement. We may live for the grandkids. 
But for Paul, living was simultaneous with knowing Christ. And if there was an option to go ahead and die so that he could be with Christ, that was always the better option. Being alive with Christ, if that is not the most important thing for us as followers of Jesus, we will not be capable of following through life without getting knocked out. We are alive in Christ. Our mission, as we've seen it over and over in Scripture, is to help others. Acts 1.8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, the mission that you as an individual believer has to go out and tell the world is so important that Jesus said, when I leave this place, you are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not only will you be empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you are following me, if you believe in me, if you trust me, if you do what I say I want you to do, then there is no other consequence except that this is going to go out into all of the rest of the world. It is crucial that we understand that. And all the events that we do, everything has a goal to reach people who are far from Christ. Now, if we simply got together and it was about us talking about how do I live a better life? How do I experience Christ more? How do I get more out of what God intends for me? How do I deal with problems that come up so that I'm able to live a life that I'm happy with and God's happy with? If that's what we did every single week, all the time, then we will have become a self-centered group of people that no longer are worried about those outside of our walls. It happens all over the place. And if you've been a journey for a while, you would say, well, it won't happen here, but it does happen all the time. Churches that think that, you know, we're on mission But being on mission starts with us as individual believers believing that I have a role to play. There is something God wants from me and what's for me. And if we miss out on that opportunity, then we miss out on fulfilling what God has truly called us to. When the gospel fails to be a personal concern, the truth is we are no longer following Christ. We're not. If I don't wake up in the morning, and I'm not saying I wake up every morning doing this. Sometimes I wake up in the morning thinking, I don't want to get up. Anybody else? Sometimes I wake up on Sunday mornings and think I'd like to sleep in. A few other people thought that this morning. You fought the urge, and I did too. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, what can I get out of this day that's going to make me feel better about me? And sometimes I get up out of bed and I think, I hope I don't encounter one single person today. That would be a good day for me. Now, some of you, that's a terrible day. If you don't encounter anybody, whoever has the misfortune of living with you has to take the brunt of all your social needs and you drive them batty. But for most of us, we probably go, you know what? If I could today not encounter a single person, that could be a good day. But when the gospel, when we don't have it on our minds regularly, if we don't have it on our minds on a regular basis, And it's no longer our personal concern, not just our church's concern, but my personal concern that we're no longer following Christ. And there's no other way to view it. Christ said, this is what my disciples will do. If we're not doing it, we're not his disciples. Now, the reality is there's a lot of reasons that that happens. And we're going to go through a few of those. 
There's a lot of reasons that you and I, at times, we stop focusing on what's going on outside and we withdraw within ourselves to focus on what's going on inside of me. You may be having something going, going wrong in life, your, your job. A friend of mine lost his job this week. You may have lost your job. Your family may be struggling. You may be sick. You may be, have a loved one that, that is not doing well. I, there's all kinds of reasons that our focus changes. But one thing is true is that if we're going to follow Christ, even through those difficult times, we have to stay focused on the things that are truly important. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy and it's not always possible. True personal concern, if sharing the gospel is, you're saying, man, that, I do care about this. And I want to be able to do that. I will tell you that concern always results in action. Concern always results in action. It's like the guy you see sitting on the side of the road and you pull up and he's got a sign saying he's hungry. And you say, I'll pray for you. Well, that's good. We should do that. But he needs a meal. True concern always acts out in ways to meet whatever the concern is. Additionally, part of this is completely dependent on our relationship with each other. The body is integral to growing, serving, and reaching the lost. There's not a single person who can do it single-handedly. Perhaps maybe Billy Graham. But for the rest of us, we can't do this on our own. You can't do it on your own. And the reality is every person who has tried to do it on their own gets discouraged and gives up. See, even those that are so committed to the gospel can get blindsided. Going through life thinking everything is going just the way it should, and yet things begin to fall apart. In Ephesians 4, we read a portion of this last week, but it talks about the importance of the church to each other. And it says that he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, verse 14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What he's literally saying here is, and you know how this feels. You know how this feels. Being able to go through life and get up in the morning and say, this is what I'm going to do today. Does anyone struggle when they get up in the morning and they've got a clear plan of what's going to happen and you walk in the door at work and your favorite coworker drops a bomb on your perfect plan for the rest of the day? Does anybody ever struggle with that? Okay, a couple of you. And we're not either we're not hitting or you guys aren't being honest because it happens to me all the time. And I'll think, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. And then something comes in and drops a bomb. And everything goes to pieces. What Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is that as we grow, we are going to move beyond the bombs that drop and rearrange the course of our lives. We're going to move beyond the upsets that happen. And we're going to be able to begin living life on an even keel so that we're not thrown around by every event that happens. And what we begin to see is that by following him, we begin to grow and to mature 
Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every point with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When I read through this, Deidre and I were talking this week. We were talking about different stages of our lives as Christians, as being involved in the church. And uh, we've been professional church members now for a long time. But before we were professional church members, we, we got to do what everybody else does. And that is kind of find what fits us, find what we want to do, spend time when we want to spend time, do what we want to do, and not do what we don't want to do. And I remember early on, whenever, uh, you know, this schedule where we do church on Sunday morning and then nothing on Wednesday nights and nothing on Sunday nights, that wasn't the case when I was growing up. See, we had church on Sunday mornings, and then sometimes we had a couple of services, and if you sang in the choir then you went to both services because you had to sing in both services, which would be the same if we had two services here for our worship team. Then we would come on Sunday nights, and I remember whenever I was probably about seventh grade, my mom made the mistake of letting me go to the library and getting a library book. And so I would go to the library at the church, get a library book, and it would have lots of pictures and whatever, and I would just read the book throughout the service because I sat in the service And I was like, oh, I just don't want to go again. And then Wednesday night would come, and it would be a little better because we would have our activities for kids and youth, and we would do all that. Normally, we would also do Monday night visitation. And so we would have that as a part of our week that we would take part of. And then there would often be something on Thursday nights. That was sometimes a time we would go play with other families. We would go to a gym and do stuff. And we would literally, four nights a week, be involved with the church. Now, when we started uh, in our lives together, Deidre and I, I remember when we moved out from our parents' homes, we moved in together after we got married, and we started deciding what kind of church do we want to be a part of. We didn't want to do any of that stuff. I mean, Sunday mornings, we struggled to get up and go on Sunday mornings sometimes because, you know, we were young and we were just, we had all kinds of things on our minds. But the truth is, as we've grown and as we've matured, we've recognized that there is something crucial about being in a community with people on a regular basis. Because oftentimes what ends up happening is we go the direction that the people we surround ourselves go. Wherever they go, if that's where we spend our time, that's where we tend to go. So if you stay around a group of people constantly that are always wanting something from you and rarely offering something to you, you end up being a not very happy person, right? And you start thinking, I need to be around a different group of people. Sometimes you go to work and you have a wonderful group of people to work with. And I've had jobs where I've had just people I loved working with. It was so much fun to go to work. And I've had jobs where I hated to go to work because I didn't enjoy the people I was around. What ends up happening is that you and I focus our time in certain areas, and we are influenced by the people we spend time with most. And if it is a group of people that has a positive effect on us, then we move in a positive direction. If they have a negative effect on us, we tend to move 
a negative direction. Now, this is not new. This is not 21st century sociology. This is the way it's always been from the beginning of creation. If you'll remember, after the fall, one of the things that God said when he began talking to Adam and Eve, he was, was simply asked a simple question, and it was this, where are you? Where are you? See, up to this point, they had spent time every single day with him. They would walk together. They would talk together. They, they would learn from God, and he would delight in them. And yet when sin entered, it does what blind spots often do to us. It pushes us to the side, to the sidelines, and we would draw into ourselves trying to just tend to the wounds that we feel internally. It's a death blow for the church when this begins to happen to a community. We begin to pull inside. But what we read from Paul in Ephesians is that failing to take our place in the body of Christ is an indicator of an immature faith. It is something going on within us. And it happens to every one of us early on. But as we grow and develop, we begin to see how crucial it is to be with others. One of the things I see in young Christians, there are two interesting characteristics that work against each other. One is this, an incredible excitement for the gospel. They are so excited because they are now alive in Christ and they know this is real. They can feel this is real. They have received the Holy Spirit and they want to talk about it. But the second one is this. They look at their lives leading up to that moment and do not believe they are capable of offering anything to the church. I just, you know, I'm a new Christian. I don't know anything. I haven't learned a lot about the Bible. I don't know how I'm supposed to act. It's one of the reasons that we focus on dressing however you want to here. They don't know how to dress. Well, they know how to dress. They don't know how to dress the way some churches dress, though. And so we create an atmosphere where people can come as they are. But when we fail to take place in the body of Christ, it's an indicator of where our faith is. I want you to know that God is always in the presence of those who are active in their faith. I don't mean that God is always active in the lives of those who are perfect. But those who are active in their faith. When we read Matthew 18, 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Church doesn't have to be big. The church doesn't have to be perfect. The church doesn't have to have the best speakers. It doesn't have to have the best musicians. It doesn't have to have the best teachers, uh, group teachers. It doesn't have to have the best kids ministry. It doesn't have to have the best building. It doesn't have to have anything but two people who are active in their faith. And that's where God is. Sometimes on Sunday mornings I come in and I just think, man, God is here. You can feel it, can't you? Some days we come in and we think, oh, I'm so tired. I don't know if I feel God today. And somehow we believe that God's presence is dependent on somehow us being in a place where he wants to be. If you are active in your faith, that is where God wants to be. If it is in your home and there are two of you, God is there. If it is in this place, God is here. And for those of you who are fortunate enough, if it is at your workplace, God is there. 
It's incredible how God wants to be there. And all of these things, the most wonderful things in life are the opportunities not only to know God, but to experience him right now. Not just later, but right now. We hang our hat on this. Now, our ministry would be very different, and ministry in general would be very different if all we needed to do was get you in heaven. If all we needed to do was to get you in heaven, then we would have events all the time with highly motivational speakers and music that would make you cry. And you would think, I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm crying. I mean, the music just makes us do that sometimes. And then we would get you to sign a sheet and we would get you to come up and we would baptize you on the spot. And then we would say, we will see you in heaven. If everything was just about the time after we die. But instead, we have the opportunity to experience him now. We have the opportunity to see what he's doing now. And what we also know is that you and I have a spiritual enemy who wants to distract us from staying focused on this new life. This enemy exists. You and I see it every day. We feel it every day. We may not be able to put a name on it. We may not be able to point it out in a crowd, but we can, we can feel it. Right now, you know, we talk about politics every now and again, but what we see overall in people is not an excited state of mind right now. I don't know how many people have said on Facebook this week, I'm off of Facebook for a while because I'm tired of seeing all the politics stuff, right? We're seeing it in business, we're seeing it in churches, we're seeing it in families, we're seeing it everywhere where there is just this national depression setting in. And it would be easy just to say, well, it's just a time, it's just an event, it's just an election cycle. But it's more than that. Because we have an enemy that wants to steal the very wonderful things that God has given his son so that we could experience And so in those times of depression, what we see is what happens when bad things happen in your family. A withdrawing into ourselves. Sometimes we do it to survive. Sometimes we do it because we don't know what else to do. Sometimes we do it because we think we're protecting ourselves from further hurt and further pain. But when we withdraw, the enemy has won. When we pull back into ourselves, we let him have control. In John chapter 10, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Talking about others claiming to be the Messiah. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy i came that they may have a life and have it abundantly now here's where we have to let the rubber meet the road as believers it's easy to talk about jesus and it's easy to talk about god but do we believe that satan is real do we believe that We don't talk about a lot here. We talk more about where God wants us to be. We don't have big, long sermons talking about uh, Satan and demons and things like that. However, if we are to believe that Jesus is real, must we not also believe that Satan is real? If he is real and we believe what is 
written in Revelation, if we believe what is written throughout the New Testament, if we believe what Jesus experienced in the desert, if those are true, and if they're not true, then how can we believe that the rest about Jesus is true? But if that is true, if he is real, what is he spending his time doing? See, I think for a lot of Christians, we have settled into a cruising pattern where we no longer are concerned with what the enemy is doing in the world. We are so wrapped up in what's going on in my life that we are immune. We are ignorant of what the enemy is doing around us. There are times that it seems obvious. There's a school shooting. There's a bombing. A plane has been brought down. Yes, we can see the enemy at work. But what about around us each and every day? What about what's going on in your coworker's life? What's, what's going on in school? What's going on around us? Do we really believe that Satan is real? And if he is real, his stated mission is to keep you from knowing Christ. And if he is, to take your joy. And if you're a follower of Jesus, to keep you from leading anyone else to know Jesus as well. That is his stated mission. What he wants are worshipers. But he's content with people not worshiping outright. He's content if he can distract people from the one who should be worshipped. Satan is content. He has been successful if he can just keep people away from God. They can ignore Jesus. Or we can say it's all about our beliefs, but it's not about our practice. Do we believe that Satan is real? Do we believe that he does have some measure of authority in this world, at least for now? If we believe what Scripture says, then we must say, yes, we believe that is true. How can we believe in Jesus if we don't believe what Jesus says about the enemy? And if we say, yes, I believe he's true. What makes you immune to his attacks? Think about that. What makes you immune off limits. What makes you a person that's going to be able to get up in the morning, do your whatever your thing is, go to bed at night, and do that day in and day out and day in and day out, and Satan is going to say, that one's off limits. Can you point to a scripture that says there's anybody that will be off limits? We think, well, believers will be off limits. He'll, he won't do that to believers, and yet we read the story of Job, and we see that the enemy came... To God and said, I want to sift this one. I want to torment this one. I want to see if this one's faith is real. And God said, go for it. Who of us is immune? And the reality is that none of us are immune. There's nothing that makes us immune to his attacks. And what the enemy is focused on, what he's depending on, is for you to lose focus The enemy is depending on you to get distracted. He's depending on you to be looking at all kinds of other things in life. I know for me, sometimes what I'm focused on most in life is to not focus on anything in life, right? I love days like that. Yesterday, I got up and I had so much stuff I could do and so much stuff I didn't do. It was a great day. I did a few things. It took the 
It took about six weeks of recycling to the recycling place, and so we recovered about 600 square feet of uh, floor space at our house. (laughs) I took the kids to go to the mall, which is a little bit of my own private hell, but for them, they had a good time, so we went and did that. (laughs) Got to go hang out with Emma and her friend at Colony 13, and she hated that. Malia and Jonathan and I went and jumped on, well, I didn't jump because I would hurt myself, but we went and jumped on the bounce stuff over at the mall and played on the playground, which, by the way, the playground at the mall is not what it used to be. I think, I don't know if it's OSHA standards or what, but apparently you cannot be about three and a half feet off the floor anymore and be safe. We had fun. We came home and watched the game and got depressed. <laughs> and we had it, but we had a good day. My focus for yesterday was to not have a focus. And after a long week, many of you, you love those days where you can have a day to not have to focus on anything. But the truth is, you are focusing on something. You are spending your lives focused on something. It is impossible to live a life not focused on anything. Some of the things we focus our lives on are are having fun. I like to focus on having fun. It's a good thing to focus on. But if we always focus on having fun, we will find those fun things better be free because we have nothing to pay for them with. Some of us are at a stage in our careers that what we're focused on right now is getting to retirement. And what all the political candidates are telling us is, well, good luck with that. Even when you get there, there won't be any money for you. And so this sowing of fear in us that we have to work harder for retirement and become even more singularly focused on retirement if we're ever going to experience it. Some of us are focused on our families which is a wonderful focus. God wants us to focus on our families. It's a, an opportunity for you to see what is best for us and help each other grow, especially if you have kids and you help them grow. And so we're focused on our families and that's good. But what if we're only focused on our families? See, a lot of times what ends up happening when we're trying to focus is we become so laser beam honed in on one thing. That we struggle. And you're thinking, well, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's good to focus. Well, here's what I want to do. I believe that we each need to have positive focuses. But we need to be aware of what's going on around us. So I want to play a little game. And I'm going to need a couple of helpers. I just need one helper for now. Preferably not an not a adult. Because we don't want anybody to get hurt. Have I got a volunteer? Can I have one volunteer? Okay, let me sweeten the deal. I've got a, a prize for those that are willing to help me out up here. All right, come on up. Is that Maggie? All right, Maggie, come on up. going behind stage are you ready for this she she just she just said yes but you're gonna punch it in a minute not yet do you, are you angry at anybody right now okay here's your rules this is your rules for our game 
Don't share your rules with anybody. Okay? I said, don't share your rules with anybody. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them your rules. Her rules are, number one, Maggie's rules are to stay focused on the target. Now, do you feel like that's a sufficient target? Do you feel like you need a face on the target? No. No? Because I have a face we can put on the target. <laughs> we have a, this is the face that we have. I haven't asked permission for this. Yeah, anybody else want to volunteer? Where where's Braden and Jackson and uh Stephanie? There he is. Maggie, I want you to stay focused on that target and I want you to hit it ten times when I say go. And I don't want you to miss. Okay? Can you do that? You won't miss? Can you stay focused? I want you to stay focused right here. I need you to stay and I want it to stay here. And I want you to be here. Right there. There you go. Okay, ready? Go. Ten times. One, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Awesome. Okay, I need you to stay here. I need it. I need another volunteer. Any other volunteers? I actually have two candy bars. All right, Emma. She's the only one you all are nervous about this, I can tell. All right. You can't unvolunteer. Does he have to punch me? I don't want to punch her. I don't want to punch her. There you go. Could you get him on? You just put your hand in. You can reach in there and grab it. Listen, if any of you couples out there would like to stay after service today and like to work out any issues you had on your way to church this morning, these can be rented out for a small fee. All right, you know Maggie's rules. Here are your rules. I'll hold them for you since you don't have any hands. Did you read your rules? Do you understand your rules? Wait, okay. Wait. Okay, we'll just hold on to them. Now, we tested this out, Maggie, and it's harder to hit with the gloves. Uh, Leslie didn't think so, but I thought they were. Okay, your rules are the same. Ten times. If you can hit it ten times, you get a candy bar. Okay? Right here. You ready? You can come right over here. Okay, ready? Go. <laughs> all right so we're you're only got four hits maggie you got six more to get your candy bar can I, can I like go all right <laughs> all right what 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 have we learned here emma's in the way 
Emma loves David and has protected David. So the first time you hit this ten times, it was easy, right? What happened the second time? What did she do? So here's what ends up. You, don't have to put your, you can put those down. You can take them off. And you both win your candy bars. Everybody give them a hand. Now, now these are... No, you can't keep them because we're going to use them again another week. You're done. You can have a seat. Be sure and share your candy bar with me later. That's silly. And that's fun. And that is a terrible picture of David. There's actually a picture of a stormtrooper in there that I cut out. It's actually a pretty good picture. But this is what happens in life. I've got a goal. Maggie had a goal. Hit this 10 times. That's an easy goal. And the truth is, if we are singular goal people, it's really not hard to live that life. We can stay focused. We can think about it. We can spend all our time on it. We can get up in the morning thinking about it. We can, we can go to seminars on how to do it better. We can go to classes at night and get even better at it. We can focus on it. And this is how we live. We get so focused on the thing in school. It can be our grades at work. It can be a promotion. Whenever you're an adult, it can be retirement. Or maybe there's a health goal. I'm singularly focused on a health goal. That's the only thing I'm worried about. And if life would let you live that way, you would probably, every one of you, achieve those goals. If you have one goal and no one's getting in your way, because Emma's rules were to wait till Maggie hit it four times and do everything she had to do to keep her from hitting it again. That was her rules. See, that's how the enemy works. You're going around, plugging away, punching away. You're hitting your goals. And you're not aware that the enemy is behind you doing everything it can to derail you. And the truth is, he is smarter than we are. However, we don't have to let him win. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over his present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now here, I don't want to lead us to a place of fear. This is not why scripture tells us about these things, but to lead us to a place of recognizing what we're up against. This is what you're up against. If you live your life and you have strict goals that have to do with getting through the way the world gets through this life, you will get blindsided. We have blind spots, every one of us. And yet we have the opportunity to recognize that we need to be aware and on guard. We need to be looking around to see what we need to be doing. And I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus, if we do not have a strong community of people to rely on, we will have blind spots to take us out. Now, what we could have done is had some of you come up and help Maggie, right? I didn't want to break anything or get anybody hurt. Somebody could come up and tackled Emma, but Jonathan was at Kidmo, so 
Otherwise, he would have vo- gladly volunteered. Ben's already thinking, man, I would have done that. I was ready to volunteer for that. I'll take her out. We could have had some of you come up and blocked her and others of you come up and say, I'm going to hit for Maggie. I'm going to make sure I get the hit in. But again, when things begin to go wrong, we don't tend to reach out to the people that we love and people that can help us. What we tend to do is close in upon ourselves. I just need me time. I just need time to focus on the things that are going on in my life. And I want you to know that one of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus is he says, no, no matter what you're going through, you have the opportunity to get out of it by investing in others. You have the opportunity to serve others. You have the opportunity to see others' pain. And by helping others through their pain, your pain is incredibly, miraculously lifted. Because he doesn't work the way the world works. He doesn't move the way the world moves. And his focus is so much bigger, greater than ours. We've got to be able to deal with life's issues because we do. Some, some of you know, we had our, my parents were here last week and uh, they just love seeing so many of you that have known them for a long time. But, you know, they struggle with a lot of health issues over the last couple of years. And it would be great to say, I'm going to be focused on God every minute of every day. But when your health begins to decline, you have other things that draw your attention. It would be great to say, when I go to work, I think about Jesus every minute, which is great until you're in the unemployment line, because that's not what your employer, unless you're a preacher, is paying you for. It would be great to say, you know what? Every time there's a fight in our house, we just pray through it, which would be great, except that's not the way people always work. We have to be able to deal with the issues that are going on around us. By staying singularly focused on our relationship with Christ. And the way that we do that is we recognize that God sees the world differently than we do. See, God knew both sets of rules. Not that God really cared about our little illustration up here. But he knew both sets of rules. Whenever you go to work, God knows the different rules you're dealing with. When people say one thing to your face and a different thing behind your back. He can help you be steady through those relationships. God knows what happens when someone you care about or your own body begins to betray you and begins to fall apart. He can be there for those times. We have to see things differently. Here's what happens when we stay focused on non-eternal things. Number one, we change our focus from seeing as God sees to seeing what everyone else sees And we begin acting as everyone else acts. That's what begins to happen when we begin to keep our focus on things that are in the world, not on the things of God. The second thing we do is we lower our our guard and we fail to see the deeper consequences of our decisions and actions. In other words, I I start backing out. I start drawing within. I start ignoring what God has said. I'm not spending any time in prayer or study of his word. I'm not talking to any of my Christian friends that could give me wise counsel. I'm just moving in and I begin to become reactive based on how I feel at the moment, which is probably not good. And so when we begin reacting at that moment, we lower our guard and we start making decisions that have painful consequences. That's what happens when we're not aware of our blind spots. We often see, and I see this so many times, that we no longer feel the imperative to know and follow Christ. 
One of the patterns we've seen here, and Scott and I talk about this from time to time, is we'll have people come in and their life is a mess. And we, we start a journey for people to come in and their life be a mess and for them to be welcomed and accepted. Not everybody that comes in, that life is a mess, but some are. And they come in and we invest and we do some crisis counseling and we look for some opportunities to move beyond whatever the issue is. And they get to a level of feeling better and then they disappear. And we don't see them anymore. Because life's good again. They came and life was bad. Life gets good again. Here's what we know. They're going to be back. Because that is not a sustainable way of living your life. I'm going to go to the ER, but I'm never going to address the long-term problems that I have. And that's what a community does for each other. We lower our guards, and we no longer feel imperative to know and follow Christ. And once we do that, we are fair game. The enemy takes over. What we end up doing in those times is we blame it on everything else, including God. And we start seeing our own failures as somebody else's fault. Not that we walked and put ourselves into this position. The implications of all this is huge, not only in your family, not only in your friendships, but it's huge in our church. Because what we tend to do here is we begin to separate ourselves from Christ. And we begin to separate ourselves from the body of Christ. See, when the body is not active, then what ends up happening is we no longer know who we can depend on. When the body's not active and I begin to struggle, I don't know if somebody really is there to help me through my struggle or not. When the body is not active... When we show up on a Sunday, we don't know if if anybody will be here or if anybody will be serving. When we're not active as a body of Christ, then we begin to get focused on ourselves and what's going on within me and what's meeting my needs rather than how am I impacting people around me. And I'm telling you, one of the most beautiful things about knowing Christ is the ability to be empowered to serve others. And whenever you begin to see God working through you, the kind of encouragement that deals with all the other issues we deal with in life, it's, it's one of the most wonderful things about being a Christian. Hebrews ten nineteen it says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, in other words, we have the ability to walk with Jesus right now. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider... How to stir up one another for love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can't tell you how many times we'll have a week. And Deidre and I will be tired and beat down. Or we'll just be wore out. And either we'll come here. We'll have our small group over. And people come around. And we don't voice those things just like you don't we don't come around and we have a label on our shirt that says all the bad things that happened that week just like you don't but yet encouraging people we have some of the most encouraging people i have ever known in my life in this church encouraging people come alongside and say it's gonna be okay 
They come and just show love. And even if they've not addressed the specific thing that's going on in your life, you, you realize it's going to be okay. You begin to see that the body, when it works together, it helps pick us up when we're struggling. It helps pull us together when life has us down, when we're looking at an election cycle that everyone's depressed about. Whenever you're struggling in your family, but you don't want anybody to know what the struggle is. We begin to see what the body's purpose is. We have the opportunity to persevere. So here's what I want to end with today. I want to end with this, that God has given us his spirit to persevere. It, they are the eyes to see the things in which we are blind to. They see all the perspectives when we see only one. And whenever our focus is singly, singularly minded in one direction, he helps spread our view of vision so we can see what he wants us to be a part of. God has given us his spirit to persevere. In John 14, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know what I love about that passage? That God has promised us his spirit that will be with us forever. He has told us if we will walk with him, he will be with us His presence will be with us forever. But you and I do not have to be perfect in order to experience this. We simply have to know Christ. God has given us a spirit to persevere. So how do we persevere? Some of you are here singularly focused this morning. You're struggling at home. You're struggling at work. You're struggling internally. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. I don't know. But you're struggling. I get it. It is really hard to think big picture stuff when you're struggling. It's really hard to think about where do I need to to address different areas of my life when right now this is the thing. This is the thing that's driving me crazy, that's causing me pain, that makes me want to give up. Just some encouraging things I have found that when I get singularly focused and I begin to realize I'm moving away from my relationship with Christ... Number one is always spend time with God in Scripture and prayer. Always, always, always spend time with God in Scripture and prayer. If you're not spending any time with God in Scripture and prayer, you will never be able to see the world the way God sees it. You'll never see your life the way God sees it. You'll never move beyond the singularly focused life, and you will get blindsided every single time. Spend time with God in Scripture and prayer. If we aren't looking to see what God has to say, how do we even recognize how God may be working around us. A second thing is this. Spend time with Christians on mission. Those are the people that get it. They're living it out. That they see this is real. Spend time with those people. Let them encourage you into the place where you can walk confident in your relationship with Christ as well. Find those good role models. Find those people who have been where you are. If you're a young couple, find an older couple. 
If you're a young family, find an older family. Find somebody that you can walk with. Spend time with them let, and see how they live their lives. And folks, we are that for many people. Develop a pattern of transformation by the renewing of your mind. This is perhaps the greatest thing. See, the whole reason that we get kind of old and tired and our relationship with God begins to fade is because we cease being transformed. Knowing Christ is all about transformation. It's about being made new. It's about taking all that you were and letting it go and being created as a new creation by Christ himself. Develop a pattern of transformation by the renewing of your mind. I'm telling you, you cannot do this unless you spend a significant amount of time thinking through the deeper issues of life. If when you walk in the door, the TV comes on, and it's on until you go to bed, and then you sleep in as late as you can, and then you get up, rush out the door to get to work, and then you do your job, and then you come home, and you flip on the TV again, and it's on until you go to bed at night. You have no time, except maybe in the car. And even then, on the way to work, you're probably thinking about what you have to do. On the way back, you're thinking about what you didn't do. You have to have time where you critically think about what's going on in the world. You have to have time where you're thinking deeply about what's going on in your life. You have to develop this pattern. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Develop a pattern of transformation. I'm telling you, if you will ask God to transform you, you will be transformed. If you seek God, you will be transformed. The renewing of your mind means that we stop seeing the world the way we have always seen it. And we let God expand our minds. If we're not spending time with God in scripture or prayer, that's not going to happen. If we're not spending time with other believers on mission, it's not going to happen. Part of doing this is to critically judge what is right, what is true, and what is good in God's eyes and act on those things. You know, you said it, we've said it before. We have to be some of the most critical thinkers in the world. I don't mean critical that we're always looking for the negative. I mean, we need to be deeper thinkers about what's going on in the world because we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. One of the tools that the enemy is going to use is going to be to continually distract you so that you no longer stop and really think about what's happening and instead you just respond how everybody else responds and you go along with the crowd because that's what they're doing because we've not stopped to think about what is good and what is right and what does God say is true. Finally, I would say this to you. If you want to reduce your blind spots, And I don't have to go into long descriptions of what it means to be blindsided. You know how that feels. If you want to reduce your blind spots, I I, I can simplify this into two ways. And the first one is simply be aware. And the second one is be active. When we're aware, that means we are observant. That means we are looking what's happening around us. 
That means we are thinking deeply about what the world is going through, what's going on in my community, how is God active, and where does He want me to be active in this? We're aware and we're active. When we go through our lives simply focus singularly on one thing, we will fail to be active in a world where God says, you are my witnesses for the rest of the world. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some different blind spots. One of the big blind spots that, that I deal with and we're, we deal with in our family that many of you deal with is a blind spot of entertainment. We can, be, we can entertain ourselves into depression. We can entertain ourselves into a place where we are ignorant of the, what God is doing. We can entertain ourselves so that the world goes on and we are, have no voice whatsoever in it. We're going to be talking about some of the struggles that we have within our lives and those blind spots that tend to wipe us out. We're going to talk about relationships that tend to blindside us and where we think we're moving forward, we get our legs knocked out from under us. Over the next five weeks, we're going to hit a different topic each week. And I hope you'll be here and I hope you'll bring somebody with you. For today, as you leave, it is crucial that we as the body of Christ operate together and we don't let those singularly focused things in our lives draw us apart. Because it is together when we most experience the presence of God and the power of God in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for so many wonderful things you've given us. God, I thank you that I'm a new creation. Everyone in this room has given their heart to Christ as a new creation. I thank you that the old is gone and that the new has come. Lord, I pray that you would help us, many who are struggling with things going on in our families and our health. As we are struggling, trying to know how to take the next steps in raising children or trying to know, is this the place I'm supposed to be right now? I thank you that you are a God who gives us direction, that you can see everything with 20-20 accuracy. I pray that you would help us to see the way you see instead of living the way the world lives. I pray for those in this room that you have empowered to do incredible things, and yet they're scared or concerned that they don't have anything to offer. I pray that not only would you continue to empower them, but they would see what you plan to use their lives for. I pray that we as a community would come together and encourage one another. We would spend time investing our lives into each other, walking with each other, and helping each other experience the wonders of knowing you. Father, I pray that our issues would first be focused around your issues. Just as Jesus said, we would be looking out for those who are oppressed and hurting, those who are enslaved and are captives. Father, I pray that we will look out around us and we would not just see people going to work or people going to the store or but instead, we would see what's going on in people's lives. You would give us eyes to look deeper, to critically examine what's happening. When we can see the pain in someone's eyes and we can be there just to soothe them and to help them. When we see someone who is struggling 
to move on in their life, that we can be there to help equip and let them know we are there to encourage and help them move forward. I pray that our eyes would be open so that we can see those people who today are struggling because they want to know Christ, but they feel like they're just not good enough yet. I pray that we'd be able to walk alongside of them and that we would not be so focused on our stuff that we fail to see they need someone to say, you are enough as you are. Christ died for you just as you are. Father, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see those things and not just the things that distract us and fill our minds and fill our emotions. Father, for those who are reaching out and they're, they're getting tired of reaching out, they're trying, but they just they feel like it's, it's just not having any effect. I pray that you would encourage them, that they could see that if we were to pull back the veil of this world and see what's happening supernaturally, that you are doing amazing things through their service and through their giving. Father, I pray that when we become so enamored with ourselves and our own stuff and our own schedules and we, we draw into ourselves how beautiful it is to be with the body of Christ. Help us to be your body, your hands, and your feet. Help us to see with your eyes and speak your words so that the gospel can move out throughout our community and throughout our world and people can be brought from death to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.